Welcome to the Montana Middle, your podcast for Montana politics. I'm Dan West, and today's episode features the Lieutenant Governor of Montana, Mike Cooney. Mr. Cooney talks about growing up in Montana, how he got into politics, and several of his policy priorities. Before getting to our conversation, a word about our sponsors and the DC update. In its quest to bring the best of Montana to the internet, the Montana Mint supports this podcast. Together, we are striving to make Montana politics more accessible for all Montanans. To keep up with interesting Montana news, check out the Montana Mint at www.montana-mint.com and subscribe to their newsletters about Montana sports and politics. And check out their Montana sports podcast called Montana Mint Sports. The Montana Middle is proud to announce a new sponsor, This episode is brought to you by the Hotel Finland in the great city of Butte, Montana. Following in the model of the Murray Hotel in Livingston, Hotel Finland's new owners are revitalizing the historic hotel located right in the heart of the city. Rooms start at just $80 a night, or you can get a whole suite for just over $100. Basically the same price or cheaper as those boring chain hotels along the interstate. Butte has so many fun things to do, and there are so many events happening all year round. Montana Tech's homecoming will be here before you know it, and St. Patty's 2019 is just around the corner. Then there's the Montana Folk Festival and Evil Knievel Days. Experience all Butte has to offer by staying in the heart of downtown at the Hotel Finland. Get your room today at finland.com, F-I-N-L-E-N.com. Also check out the Cavalier Lounge Bar located in the Finland. Listen to live music and enjoy some of the great Montana beers the Cavalier has on tap. The Cavalier Lounge recently installed the Smooth Hopperator, a contraption that infuses your beer with fresh fruit and ingredients and chills it to the perfect temperature. Most bars have good beer, but the Cavalier Lounge is the only bar in the country that has the Smooth Hopperator. The Montana Mint and the Montana Middle are proud to partner with businesses like the Hotel Finland, which keep our state great and keep our history and heritage alive. We all love Montana, so let's support our local Montana brands and businesses. Next time you're in Butte, book your room at the Hotel Finland, F-I-N-L-E-N dot com. Here's the D.C. update. On August 2nd, President Trump signed into law the East Rosebud Wild and Scenic River Act. The bill was sponsored by Montana's entire congressional delegation, Senators Tester and Danes and Congressman Gene Forte. East Rosebud Creek flows out of the Beartooth Mountains near Billings, and now 20 miles of it has a wild and scenic designation thanks to the support of Montana's members of Congress, but especially to the passionate organizers on the ground who advocated for this bill for years. This is a great example of how local constituents can get their members of Congress to do something good for their community, even if those members are in different political parties. It's especially satisfying to see this bill pass this year, because 2018 marks the 50th anniversary of the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act, which was signed by President Lyndon Johnson on October 2, 1968. Congress also passed the National Defense Authorization Act, or NDAA, which President Trump signed on August 13th. It authorizes $717 billion in funding for the Defense Department. Here's Senator Danes' statement on it. Well, I'm here in Fairfield, Montana today. Just came up from Great Falls. 
We got good news today. President Trump just signed the National Defense Authorization Act. That authorizes spending for U.S. military. It also is very important for Montana and our nuclear mission and what the men and women who serve at Malcolm Air Force Base do for our nation and for our state. It's a big win for Montana. It's a big win for our nation. In a Senate Commerce Committee hearing, Senator Tester grilled FCC Chairman Ajit Pai on the lack of broadband access in rural Montana and on robocalls. Here he is. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I want to thank you all for being here today. And uh, uh, Chairman Pai, in, in regards to consultation with Indian tribes, I uh, commend those activities, and I hope you continue to do them. I think there are a lot of agencies within government that don't understand consultation. I think it's really important, so I, I appreciate you doing that. Uh, being down the line and asking questions, uh, I got to hear a lot of conversation about the maps. The maps stink, basically. Um, and I don't know that the process that you've got to take care of the maps is going to work. In other words, I'm sitting here thinking, if I get a text to go out, does that mean I have coverage? And if I get a text to go out on one side of my house but not on the other side of my house, does that constitute coverage? If it's a voice call and the same thing, does that constitute coverage? Because, quite frankly, that's exactly my world. Um, I can send texts depending on where the sun is in the sky, basically. And I can get voice calls sometimes depending on which direction I'm driving the tractor. Okay? So in rural America, whether you're talking about Montana or South Dakota or anywhere else, that's where it's at. And we've got to get those maps very quickly. I agree uh, with, uh, with Jessica. It will result in a big spending of a lot of money that will be unnecessarily spent. Uh, the other thing I, I, w I would say in regards to the robocalls, you had said that, that um, you've been very aggressive on this issue. Uh, I can tell you personally and my constituents have seen an incredible increase of robocalls over the last couple of years. I don't know if that's because of the D.C. Circuit Court decision or some other reason, but we got to shut them down. They are an incredible nuisance. And whatever you can do, and if you need more jurisdiction from us, please let us know, because I don't think anybody around this circle in a bipartisan way would not give you the power you need to shut this stuff down, because it is incredibly uh, a big nuisance. The other thing I would just say in this deal, this is a question that deals with 5G. Um, I am happy that 5G, that, that Verizon is going into Indianapolis. I am very concerned that it'll never come to Montana. We have advocated to put 5G into our biggest town, Billings, yet we have gotten no response whatsoever. So here's my question. As we work to get 5G, and I think all of us want to have 5G throughout the country, what happens to the places who have no G? That's it for the D.C. update. Now to my conversation with Lieutenant Governor Mike Cooney. Okay, Lieutenant Governor Cooney, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you very much for having me on, Dan. Been looking forward to it. <laughs> Same. Yeah, it's a real treat to have you on, and there's so many issues I want to ask you about, but... Before we dive in, let's get to know you a little and the office you currently hold. First, what made you want to get into politics? You know, uh, I grew up in Butte, and uh, I grew up in a family that was you know, involved in politics locally. We talked politics uh, around. 
around the kitchen table. So it was it wasn't foreign to me. But when I went away to college, I went to the University of Montana. Um, I got involved in a political campaign there that really excited me about the process of, uh, of electoral politics. And then I had an opportunity to do an internship at the state legislature. Mm. And that is what really got me engaged. And I, I spent a, a session watching the process, being somewhat involved. And I decided at that point that that would be something I would like to do uh, in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. uh, it just so happened that uh, about two years later, I decided to run for the legislature. I was still in college. I dropped out, went back home to Butte, and I ran for the legislature, and uh, I got elected. And that was kind of the beginning of my my love affair with public service and uh, served a couple terms in the legislature, got out, ended up going to work for Senator Baucus, did that for about 10 years, came back to Montana after four years in Washington, D.C., ended up running for Secretary of State, mm. did that for 12 years, and um, ended up you know, continue on, continuing on, on, and also being an employee at the state of Montana uh, when I wasn't an elected official. And then the next thing I know, I'm uh, serving as lieutenant governor with uh, Steve Bullock. And it's been a great, great ride. I've enjoyed it. Um, it's been very rewarding. And uh, hopefully along the way, I've helped do a few good things. Oh, well, <clears throat> that's great. Yeah, it sounds like a um, you know, it, it's a very logical progression that, that it sounds like. And, uh, it sounds like you spent some time in DC as well. So, you, you know, you had a very, uh, uh, well-rounded, uh, uh, resume to, to, to make it to where you're at. And as you said, you know, you guys have, have done, have done well serving, serving the state of Montana, maybe, maybe a little bit more uh, about what your day-to-day -day is like as Lieutenant Governor. You know, it's it's very interesting. You know, people like to joke about lieutenant governors not having any responsibility except just waiting around and, and see if something happens to the governor so that they can uh, move into that office. Um, I, I told Governor Bullock when he asked me to do this that uh, he had to make sure that he never let anything happen to himself because I wasn't interested in becoming governor that way. But I do have to say that uh, he, he's um, uh, really Montana, the lieutenant governor's position really is one that um, uh, you do things that are basically assigned to you. So, I mean, every day it's a little bit different. Of course, I stand in for the governor when he can't attend certain things. Um, I sit in with a lot of meetings. We just, uh, the governor and I were just in a, a meeting before this uh, uh, this podcast that we're doing today. And, uh, you, you know, it's 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 a, it's a great thing. Uh, it's very, It varies from day, day to day. I get to travel around the state. I get to meet with Montanans. Um, we've been doing a lot of work on, on workforce-related issues. We've been doing work uh, on the drought advisory. We do work we, Right now it's summer. We have fire situation going on. So I've been involved in all of those things. Um, and, and it's just uh, every day it's a little bit different. Um, mm -hmm. Tomorrow I'll be heading down and sitting in uh, for the governor's workers' compensation uh, annual meeting, uh, his, his conference on worker, workers' compensation. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I, you know, Every week is different. Every day is different. And that's what makes the job very exciting. And that's what the governor had uh, promised me. He said, you're going to enjoy it. Um, it's going to be uh, a challenge at times. Um, but you, in the end, you're going to uh, you're going to go away thinking it was a, it was well worth your time. And he hasn't let me down. <laughs> well, you guys make a great team. And I'm, I'm sure it's I'm sure it is very, you know, hard to to find a, a routine with so many 
issues coming up, you know, seasonally and from year to year. Um, yeah, I was actually thinking while you were explaining there, about how much time do you spend in Helena versus the rest of the state? Boy, that's, that's a tough question because uh, both the governor and I travel an awful lot. Montana's a big state. Sure. And the one thing I've learned, um, you know, Montanans, uh, we're, we're lucky. We're small. We're a small state. And we haven't we haven't gotten to the point where people feel that they don't have contact with us. People feel very mm-hmm. confident in walking into the office and asking if we're here and asking us if, uh, you know, is the governor here or is the lieutenant governor? And they just walk in. And if if we can, we, we certainly meet with them. We, we go out there. And, and I think that's great. And the same thing is true in other communities. Uh, people don't hesitate to call up and say, hey, um, we'd like the lieutenant governor to come out here and, and to meet with us or to, to, you know, see this project that we're working on. Um, and, and so, you know, I would, I don't know if it's 50% or somewhere, but boy, I'm, I'm traveling an awful lot. I put in a lot of road miles and, mm-hmm. uh, Montana is a big state and I love it. I love, I, I always like to tell kids, you know, one of the parts of my job, I get to pay to travel around the state of Montana. What more could you ask for? Yeah. And, uh, I truly believe that. Um, and, and I get to get, I get to go to all corners of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get to meet with people sometimes, you know, they've got real issues and they're, you know, they may not be even happy, but, but at the same time, I get to sit down with them, listen to them, and we get to figure out together, you know, what might be able to get be done to, to assist them along the way. And I love that challenge. And I, and I love the fact that I get to work so closely with the people of Montana. Yeah, great. Well, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm jealous too. I, I love driving around <laughs> Montana, you know, and, and Indeed. yeah, the, it, it's one of the best things to do, I think. So yeah. that's one of the perks of the job. Um, you know, so going back to, uh, some, some of the topics that you mentioned earlier when you're describing your day to day, you, you chair the governor's drought and water supply advisory committee and, and the labor management advisory council, um, you know, two, two kind of different areas, one's labor and one's, uh, kind of environmental, but yeah, could you, natural resources yeah, sure. yeah, natural resources. Um, could you just describe those, those bodies a little more and your role in them? Sure. Well, first the, uh, the governor's, uh, drought and water, uh, advisory committee is, um, uh, you know, uh, before I became chair of that, uh, other lieutenant governors have chaired that in the past. And, you know, you, you wonder, I used to sit there and say, well, what can they do? Can they declare there shall not be any drought? Of course, that's not the case. But when I came on board and I started to learn more about it, it I found that it's actually a very important committee. And it's, uh, it's a committee of people, um, of experts in all sorts of areas that deal with water. And we talk about, number one, how do we best prepare when a drought comes and what needs to be done. And then the other thing that we've done is we've tried to um, engage more with water users, communities, and so forth to get them to think about how best to prepare. Mm -hmm. We know drought is going to come. We know it's going to happen. We just don't know when it's going to happen. We had a heck of a drought last uh, summer, but it is very unexpectedly. In fact, I I learned a new term last summer, and that was called flash drought. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what we had. And so, um, uh, and, and so what we try to do is we try to be ahead of the curve. We're watching the signals, the signs, all the, you know, the, the scientific information that we get coming in. And we're working with meteorologists and then we, uh, we end up having to make sure that we're, um, uh, you know, uh, 
our eye on the ball. Mm-hmm. And when it when it's really a, you know, we try to be better coordinated. Uh, we try to get communities to be prepared. Um, I, if I can, I'd love to just give a quick shout out to the city of Bozeman. Bozeman has taken a real, uh, made a real effort to work with the water users, uh, agriculture, the community, uh, the fisheries, and so forth, to say, okay, we know we only have a certain amount of water, and as our population grows, we're going to probably reach a point where we may not even have enough water, and we can't produce more water. So we need to figure out what what's going to happen when we have drought and how to deal with it and they have a plan in place saying you know if the, if we reach a certain level here we're likely you know we will start cutting back and we'll cut back in these these areas and uh, but we'll continue to make sure that the fisheries get this much water agriculture in the community gets this much water and then if it gets worse then we continue to have a and they've developed a plan to, to really address this we need more communities to do that and we're working with communities to encourage uh, to provide them some resources to get in to work in that area um, at the same time I mean as a drought starts to occur there's different declarations that the state can make and the governor can make mm-hmm. the drought advisory committee works with the governor in order to make sure that those things are done appropriately and correctly so that uh, we can get what resources out there uh, to communities and to users um, as it's as it's necessary mm-hmm. so it's it's um, you know it's a it's a very important group this year of course we're, we're continued to even on the drought committee we we continue to even talk about wildfires we even talked about flooding earlier in the year um, because it all plays a role in in uh, you know who we are as montanans and how we live in this this territory that we call the state of montana and uh, and so we take our job very very seriously uh, we meet about once a month especially during the, uh, the the summer season we meet i think we meet most of the year but we focus mostly on the, the summer seasons, and we have public meetings. And it's amazing how many members of the public join in in those meetings to hear what we're doing, and we get really good feedback. Mm-hmm. We try to engage people across the state, and that's the other thing we do to just make sure that we're monitoring all the situations that other people on the ground are looking at. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what it is that, that we do. And I've, I tell you, I've gained a lot of respect for the work that that committee does. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, one of those quiet, uh, you know, those quiet things that maybe a lot of people in the cities don't don't realize, but but certainly our our uh, neighbors in the in the rural areas are are paying attention to constantly. Well, you yeah. Bet. Thanks for thanks for explaining that. Um, the other body was the Labor Management Advisory Council. Could you could you speak on that a little bit? You bet. I mean, that one is a little bit more straightforward. Uh, we, we really take a look at um, how do we keep the workers' compensation rates um, low. I mean, and, and, and in Montana, our, our overall rates have, have been pretty bad. Um, they've been high, and so we're always looking at ways to help drive those rates down. And the biggest uh, issue is just safety in the workplace. And so we focus a lot on education, training, um, and uh, and so what we have uh, the labor management committee is made up half members of labor, half members of management. So we have two teams of people basically on this committee. Oftentimes people would think they don't speak to each other, but they do speak to each other. Mm-hmm. And um, we meet, we reach common ground in in our discussions. Um, it, we can't one side can't voice 
their opinion or their thoughts on the other. It has to be done pretty much by consensus. Hmm. And we've been able to um, tackle a number of problems. But uh, you know, one of the big things that we're focusing right now is, is safety. Um, we have a lot of our businesses in Montana are, are fairly small businesses. They're mom and pop or Main Street businesses, and they may have a handful of employees, and they don't even realize the resources that are out there to work with their employees um, to make sure that whatever it is they're doing, that they're doing it safely, and uh, and that's keeping their costs down. And that's something that we've really been driving um, and, uh, uh, you know, as I said, tomorrow I'll be driving down to uh, Big Sky for the Governor's Workers' Compensation uh, Forum that we do once a year. And I'll be talking to them. And, and what I'll be talking to them about is, you know, some of the gains that we've made, but still our numbers aren't where they need to be. And the only way we're going to get our numbers uh, where they need to be is by really hammering home safety in the workplace. And we have programs through the state to help train people. We have a safety fest program that we put on several times throughout the state uh, during the year. It's totally free. Anybody can come and we teach, you know, best practices. Um, and, and, and I just think, we, you know, I know a lot of times people just get so busy running their businesses, um, making the payroll, taking care of the things around the house that they don't think about these things until something bad happens and we need to reach out to those people and say please you know please reach out to us let us know what we can do to help and we're not like you know we're not mean we're not out there trying to catch people we just want to work with people so that we can prevent them from facing sure. a bad situation that's going to possibly even drive them out of business and we find that happening off and on and we don't like that we yeah. want to see people prosper and do well so that is uh, that's uh, really the main focus of, the, of what we called LMAC or the Labor Management um, uh, Committee that we have. Okay. Um, do you have any numbers or, uh, you know, you mentioned small businesses, but do you, are, are there, uh, a, is there a particular sector in Montana that, that tends to have, tends to be the most dangerous for workers? You know, it, it's interesting. I mean, um, it, you know, it, we, I don't, I don't have the specific I don't have anything specific on that, but but a lot of times you would think just because of, you know, we have a lot of outdoor jobs, you know, people working in the forest, people working in the mines, people working, you know, uh, on construction and so forth. And, uh, and yeah, we have issues there, but again, um, a lot of injuries uh, can happen just like on a, uh, you know, in a small business on a family farm or whatever that are very, very serious. Um, And then, and, and, most of these statistics, when you compare them nationwide, of course, they're done on a per capita basis. So it only takes a few serious incidents to drive our numbers up compared to the rest of the nation. But Montana's numbers, even on a per capita basis, are, are much higher than they should be. And it's something that this administration has taken very seriously, and we're working darn hard to try to address. Um, but it, it, it goes across the board. Yeah. It just it, it absolutely goes across the board as far as occupation and, and injuries. Um, it's it's it would be you'd be surprised to see it. Yeah. Well, it kind of leads into my next question, uh, which uh, which is about wildfires, and, and and you mentioned it earlier, but uh, you know I have to bring it up again just because they're flaring up again this year, though. Yeah. You know, not as bad as they were last year, fortunately. Um, but uh, you know, obviously, a very hazardous workplace environment for for our firefighters out there. But um, 
you know, how, how does the governor's office deal with, with wildfires each year? Yeah, you know, our, well, our administration really is in charge of, of dealing with fires on state lands. Uh, we keep a close contact through uh, briefings. Uh, right now we're doing at least weekly briefings, and I know that we're getting usually an additional briefing in the middle of the week. During the, you know, when we had the, all the fires really erupting uh, last summer, we were, the governor and I, were both being briefed on a daily basis mm-hmm. uh, throughout that. So, I mean, it's, uh, we, you know, that's very important. Um, you know, and we work closely with the Department of Natural Resources and Conservation as well as mm-hmm. the Montana National Guard. Um, you know, we also have a very, very close working relationship with the federal government entities such as the Forest Service and, and BLM. Yeah. Um, you know, fires... And they just really impact all of us. And uh, the more we're prepared and coordinated uh, that we can be, the better off we're going to be. So, you know, when and if that time comes, our office is charged with, you know, declaring state emergencies and disasters in order to deploy the National Guard and other resources and funding resources, as was needed during last summer's fire season. Mm-hmm. Um there's also, uh, we, we also can request what is called fire management assistance grants, or and we, in government we love acronyms, it's called FMAG grants, and that's through uh, FEMA to help with the fire costs on certain fires. And so last year we were able, through the governor's declarations and so forth, to be able to secure nine of those grants. Um, you know, what's crazy about this year, you've mentioned it, I mean, the, the experts that we've talked to early on said that this fire season was probably going to come later than what we saw last summer, mm. but they expect it to go longer, probably in October. Mm. Um, uh, we're hoping, I'm hoping that they're not correct, but that's what they suspect. So, mm. we, you know, even though we're getting a little moisture, I'm looking out my window right now and it's uh, kind of wet out there. It's been kind of raining here in Helena all day long. Um, that's great to see, but there's a parts of the state where we have some major major fires where they're not getting this moisture and we anticipate that uh, with these storms comes lightning and uh, the lightning efficiency is we've seen you know when, I, when we call talk about lightning efficiency that's how much when a uh, when lightning strikes how many fires it starts and we're mm-hmm. finding that the efficiency is very very high and it's gotten that way in this region of the country this year mm-hmm. so even with these storms when we get lightning it's still dry out there and it's causing us concern and we're going to be very busy between now and the time we finally say the fire season's over with so we got to keep our fingers crossed but we're going to continue to remind montanans to, to do what they're supposed to be doing to play their part and take precautions and prevent unwanted human-caused fires because we have Mother Nature to deal with. We don't need to be deal, dealing with that. So. <laughs> well, thank you for, yeah, all you're doing. And, and uh, yeah, the PSA is, is definitely appropriate, even though we're past 4th of July. I think it doesn't, doesn't hurt to remind people that, you know, a lot of <laughs> fires are started by us, so. We, we, we love to get out in Montana. Yeah. You know, that's why we choose to live here. And, uh, you know, it doesn't take much. I mean, even uh, so dry in some areas of the state, driving across a field uh, and having your catalytic converter, uh, you know, touch some of this uh, this dry, tender grass uh, can just start a fire right away. So just be aware and uh, don't, don't, you know, don't do things that you know could possibly start a fire. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, let's move on to another topic. Uh, it's re- related to an earlier topic. We talked about the Labor Management Advisory Council. Um, you also serve on the 
future ready Montana cabinet, which which focuses on unifying the administration's uh, education and workforce development initiatives. Um, could you could you just go into that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's really a, I think a, a really good effort. It's, it's to really bring people involved. It brings, you know, people from K twelve. It brings people from higher ed. It brings people from our workforce initiative, um, uh, and, and others involved uh, to sit down at the table and really talk about workforce and what we need to be doing. One of the things that I have found, and I know the governor has found, is when you talk to anybody on Main Street, Montana, they're going to say one of the greatest challenges they have right now is finding these trained and skilled workforce that they need in order to do the jobs that they're looking for mm-hmm. and uh, and that they need to have done. So that, that is the big challenge. And so um, what we've done with this, uh, with this cabinet is uh, I think it's a, an incredible opportunity to unite our talent pipeline efforts and to ensure that we have a talented and trained workforce for today and, and tomorrow. And, uh, you know, Governor Bullock in his first State of the Union, State of the Union, excuse me, mm-hmm. State of the State address, um, you know, he set some goals of increasing the percentage of Montanans yeah. with college degrees, certificates, or credentials. And so we're really having a, we're taking a good look at that and seeing, you know, where we are, how we're doing, and what we may need to be do, you know, what we may need to be doing in order to try to address that. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're also trying to engage folks in the private sector. Because unless we know what the private sector's needs are, and I'm not just saying today, but they need to be able to help us identify what their needs are going to be into the future as they grow and as technology changes and just as where they see their businesses growing, we we need to work closely with them so that we can be agile uh, from our education standpoint to really, um, you know, be able to address that. And I think, you know, we have done that. We've done a lot over the last few years because we've made some real strides in, in growing apprenticeships. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've we've, we've uh, expanded work-based learning and we've increased the partnership with uh, our partnerships with higher education in the private sector. Um, ju- just, to, you know, just to talk a little bit about, about apprenticeship because that one yeah. sometimes makes people scratch their heads. Yeah. Apprenticeship you know, I grew up in Butte, and apprenticeship always meant you were going to be dealing with pipes, wires, or carpentry. I mean, that was what you'd go into an apprenticeship and learn those trades. But there are probably over a thousand apprenticeable occupations oh, wow. in our country where apprenticeship could be possibly used. And they, they go into fields such as healthcare, IT, um, and, 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 you know, kind of unusual uh, occupations that you wouldn't really think of. And we need to start thinking and working with employers to, to say, okay, you know, you need, you know, are you willing to make an investment in developing the workforce you need? And we're finding many of them are saying, you know, we're willing to do that. We have uh, at the state the resources to help them get going um, and get set up and to be certified so that, you know, when an apprenticeship is completed, they're, 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 cert- they're, they're given a certificate that they can take with them for the rest of their lives. Um, and sometimes uh, if they're working through uh, a two-year college, they can even work toward a, even a further degree if they decide that that's something that they would want to do. So there's a lot of really exciting things happening. And what this, but, but really what the, what this, uh, the Ready Force Cabinet is, is doing 
is um, it's really trying to help coordinate, excuse me, the future ready cabinet is, is really trying to help coordinate these efforts and get everybody on the same page um, uh, so that we can, uh, uh, you know, that we're not we're not out there individually doing these things, and then we we find that we you know you know we've got a conflict. So we have yeah, people at the table where we can have these discussions, we can work together, and uh, and we can be much better prepared uh, when when opportunities arise. Yeah, well, that's really exciting, and and you know thank thank you for for taking that on as a major initiative. I you know as a uh, product of the Montana public school system myself, I. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, grateful for all of it and, and wouldn't trade it for anything. But I do remember yeah. when I was getting getting into high school and thinking about college and it was it's tough. You know, it's it's a big, you know, cl- classroom learning can only take you so far. And then you right. kind of just have to go out and get your own professional experience. But, you know, as a you know, that's, that's, that's so true. And I look back at my college experience and one of the things that I did, and I did it because I enjoyed doing it, mm-hmm. I interned. I interned at the, when I first went to college, right. I was kind of inter- interested in journalism, and I did an internship at a television station one one summer. That was fabulous, but it made me decide at that point that maybe that wasn't what I wanted to do for a lifetime <laughs> right. occupation. Um, and then I, you know, interned, I worked on a campaign, uh, which I, I think I brought a few credits for, and then I ended up interning at the legislature, those experiences were probably the most meaningful in so many ways, not putting down my college, uh, uh, you know, experience, totally, but totally. those experiences outside really is what drove me to decide, you know, what I thought I would want to do for the rest of my life. And so, um, I, I, I personally lived it and I think it's a great experience for, for students. We just need to make sure that they have more opportunities to, to do that and that there aren't barriers to students. Um, if they decide that's what they want to do, we need to figure out how to, to help them along the way to give them those opportunities. Certainly. Yeah. It, you know, it's a funny term, uh, the word apprenticeship. It, it's almost, it, it evokes kind of this this uh, idea of like a medieval like blacksmith or something, you know, like it's an outdated right. thing. But But like you said, it's not. It's thousands of different professions that that young people can can uh, get a taste for before they really decide right. what they want to do with the rest of their lives. So that that's great. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It, it is very exciting. And I think when we talk about workforce training and we talk about the challenges that our uh, businesses all across this country are having, I really do think that this is one of the answers that um, we need to take a good hard look at. And, and it's not without challenge because it, it, even though it is a – Apprenticeship is, has been around for thousands of years, as you just mentioned. <laughs> yeah. It isn't something that the the current uh, uh, employer of today um, thinks of when they start thinking of how to train their, you know, how they're going to find a trained workforce. Right. But, but the model's there. We know it works, and uh, we just need to convince more and more people to look at it. And we have we have the tools uh, from the state to, to help employers take that step, and we're more than happy to reach out and work with them. Well, that's great. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's just been an honor speaking with you, uh, Mr. Lieutenant Governor, and, and thank you so much for being on the show. Um, oh, Dan, thank you. I, yeah. I hope we can do it again sometime. Absolutely. And, uh, 
this is a great introduction for me. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, I have one one last question. It's a lighter question yeah. uh, that we should end okay. on. Um, I just want to ask you, where would you like to vacation next in Montana? Where would I like to vacation next in Montana? Yep, it's a loaded wow. question. It's a hard, the hardest it's one. It's a loaded question. Last. You know, yeah, you know, there. well, there's, I mean, that is so hard because there's so many <laughs> great places. One place that yeah. I haven't, I've just kind of barely whetted my appetite, but I'd love to go back and spend a little bit more time is around Glendive in Makoshika State Park. Oh, yeah. I, I I just, it's, it's, uh, we were there the other day. I went up into the park. They gave me just a quick little tour to show me some things. I'd love to go back there and spend a little time in Makoshika. I just think it's, uh, it's a, a gem that we have in the state of Montana that a lot of people don't know about. But I was, uh, I was thrilled to, to have that opportunity and I would love to go back there. Oh, that's, but, so, yeah. That's again, so funny. That, there are, I, I could give yeah. you a list and I know I'm you sure. don't have time, but, but, but that's, that's one that just comes right to mind. Yeah, we can have another episode maybe of uh, Mike Cooney's vacation <laughs> destinations or something. Where in the world is Mike Cooney? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so start a whole podcast spinoff. Um, you know, it's funny you bring up Makoshka because I it's come up in previous uh, podcast interviews as well. And um, I, I will have to second that to you uh, just to recommend that to our listeners. It's, it's a hidden gem. Yeah. And it's it's beautiful. It's very accessible. Yes, right indeed. There. Yeah. Yeah, you just go to Glendive and you it's right there. It's right <laughs> it's in their right backyard there. and uh it is it, it's a wonderful little community and uh and the state park there is just truly uh just again what I saw was just, it just made me very excited to have that that chance to visit and I'd love to go back. Nice. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, thank you again for your time, sir. Thank you. You take care, Dan. Yeah, you too. Take care. <laughs> Today's Last Word segment features Montana Governor Steve Bullock, who spoke at the Des Moines Register soapbox at the Iowa State Fair on August 15th. Here's the beginning of his speech, and I'll post the full YouTube clip on the website. Thank you for having me at the soapbox. I never thought I'd be competing against big wheel races in life. And as Rachel said, I am from Montana, and I know that you have people all the time from out of state that tries to make some you know, unique or distinct connection to Iowa. So I'm not going to tell you that my great-great-grandfather settled in Henry County in 1856. I won't tell you that my mom was born in Ottumwa or, by some surprise, um, my mom's first cousin, Jim Clark, is joining us here today. What I want to talk about, though, is actually something that impacts, I think, all of us and our connection overall to the electoral system. It was in 1907 when a newspaper in Montana opined the greatest living issue confronted us today is whether the corporation shall control the people or the people shall control the corporations. And let's fast forward a century now. And should we be asking the same question? Because fundamentally, over the last decade, we've seen trust in government disappear in a way that we hadn't seen in the past. We can talk about the 2016 election, but I'll even take you back to 2013. There's a poll that said, what do you have a more favorable view of, Congress or? What we learned is Americans thought more of head lice, cockroaches, and colonoscopies even than Congress. 
trust in government has disappeared in some ways, but more than that, the ability to govern has fundamentally been eroded in the last 10 years. We can talk about the big issues like immigration reform, or we can talk about climate change. They can't even pass a farm bill right now. Most deleterious, though, is I think Americans' trust in the institutions are fading. Fundamentally, I've always believed one of the great equalizers that we have is we are all equal on Election Day. Our voice is our vote. But what we've seen more and more when people start losing trust in the ability to impact elections or even the representative democracy, trust in government starts to fade and that social contract that we all have. Now, I say this all happened in the last 10 years. And I'll tell you what happened if we can't remember what happened about 10 years ago. In 2010, there was a little case called Citizens United. Citizens United was the first time in our country that it actually equated money and speech and corporations and people. Not only did that allow unlimited corporate spend in our election, but this thing called dark money, money that's actually spent in our elections that's not disclosed by anyone or anything began creeping into our elections. Think about 2004, $5 million was spent of dark money, undisclosed money in our federal elections. Fast forward just eight years, it was 300 million, a 6,000% increase in just eight years of dark money pouring into our elections. Now, more than just influencing our elections, it really has fundamentally impacted the way that government works or doesn't work. It wasn't that long ago the Republicans would say, yes, climate change is real and we have to do something about it. That's now a third rail today in the Republican Party. Or even think about this recent tax cut that happened, $1.9 trillion of debt on our kids and our grandkids. Senator Graham said afterwards, we had to do this to make our donors happier, to appease our donors. If we want to address all the other big issues in our electoral system, in our political system, if we really want to address income inequality, if we want to address health care, if we want to address rights, you're not going to be able to do it until you've also addressed the way that money is corrupting our system. That's it for this episode of The Montana Middle. Thanks for listening. Outro music for this episode is provided by the boy and sister Alma from Helena, Montana. Here is their song, Brightly. Remember, you can find the podcast at www.themontanamiddle.com on Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Guitar music for this podcast was provided by my sister, June West. Thanks for listening. Take care.
The